into the stage where he likes games. Connect Four and Uno are the favorites. But losing is not something that goes down well. So at the moment, what we're working on is whatever the outcome of the game is, we shake hands and we say, well played. Now, we're having mixed results. More often than not, uh, cards are thrown across the table as well as tokens, and that's just when he's beat me, uh, and I'm feeling slightly jealous. But how have you reacted when others are doing well compared to you? Because in chapter 18, we can't miss two completely different reactions, can we? Two completely different reactions. Chapter 18, it comes on the back of David beating Goliath, an absolutely awesome win for the lad. Absolutely awesome. And victories keep on coming for David, for Israel. They just seem to continue. So you'd think everyone would be buzzing. It's all going so well. But our writer draws such a contrast, doesn't he? A massive difference in reaction to David from Saul, the king, and his son, Jonathan. In those first four or five verses, we see Jonathan esteem and love David. They become best mates. But when it comes to Saul, he's full of jealousy, envious of his success and the praise he got from people, singing that song, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. In fact, verse 11, he tries to pin him to a wall with a spear. He sends him on more campaigns, verse 13, and in verse 25, as part of the conditions for the marriage to his daughter, effectively hoping that someone would kill him for him. One responds with love. The other with envy and anger. We've spent this summer, if you've been dipping in and out, uh, looking at how some Old Testament characters can help us and show us something about the good news of the gospel. This morning, uh, we're going to focus on Jonathan. We're going to focus on Jonathan and his response to David. I'm not going to lie. I love this guy. He is literally, possibly my favorite person in the Bible after Jesus, obviously. And although we just read one chapter this morning, uh, his story in the narrative spans more. And we're going to dip into a few of that. But I'd encourage you to carry on reading through 1 Samuel to see how his relationship with David pans out. But here in chapter 18, we see he's become best mates with David. Uh, have a look down. Uh, verse 3, they enter into a covenant with one another, a covenant with one another. Now, David, Todd, that is, helped us think about it a few weeks ago, what a covenant is. It's common in the Old Testament covenant, and it's a, a massive theme throughout the Bible. And a few weeks ago, we, we heard when God made his covenant with Abraham, a covenant is, is showing us all about personal, relational commitment. It is promises of complete commitment forever. Jonathan and David, they are going to be there for each other as mates, whatever life might throw at them. It is a firm and faithful friendship rooted in their love of the Lord and their love for one another. Now, we see some great friendships, don't we? Um, this morning, Aaron, Martha's little boy, uh, gave me a picture he'd drawn of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Yes. Good group of friends then. But maybe there's others that you know. Buzz uh, and Woody, Hermione, Ron and Harry. 
Han Solo and Chewbacca. You probably have lots of others that come to mind for you. Look, as good as, as these stories we love about friendship are, they are nothing on this one, Jonathan and David. This is a friendship that, that people are still reading and talking about 3,000 years later. So there are great things we could learn from these guys about friendship. Great things. But actually, actually what we see with Jonathan and David in chapter 18 here is much, much more than that. Because you see, here is David. Here is David, the one who's just being Goliath, the winner, the goat, uh, greatest of all time. He's the messy of his day. But he's more than that. He's more. Because David is the man that God has chosen to be Israel's king. He is the anointed one, the man God has used to save his people. He's not just some other guy. And there's more still, because if you were here last week, uh, you'll have heard from Michael how David and his victory over Goliath point forward. They point forward ultimately to Jesus and the victory that he would win on the cross for us. So when we see David, when we see David, the chosen king of Israel, he points forward to an even greater king, the king of the universe, who has come to this world to rescue his people for eternity. Jesus. And here's the good news of the gospel. This King Jesus, the one who has complete authority over everything, the one who has defeated our enemies, sin, death, and the devil, this King Jesus wants to befriend us. He doesn't just want us to know about him. He invites us into a relationship with him, a covenantal relationship built on his love for us. Isn't that just epic? Last week, we saw how David, God's chosen king, saved saved Israel, and how it points forward, points forward to how Jesus saves us for a relationship with him. Jonathan, here in chapter 18, in his friendship with David, he shows us what taking hold of that relationship looks like what it looks like to take hold of that relationship with God's king. He shows us what faithfully loving Jesus looks like. And briefly this morning, I just want us to see two things, two things together as we go through it. Faithfully loving Jesus is saying he's king, and it looks outrageous. Faithfully loving Jesus is saying he's king, and it looks outrageous. Outrageous. Let's crack on. Faithfully loving Jesus is saying he's king. Did you catch what Jonathan uh, gives David in those first few verses? Have a look down again. Verse 4. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword and bow and his belt. Now this isn't just giving your phone to a mate when you're going punting just in case you fall in. That's not what's happening here. There is real significance to the things that Jonathan gives to David because they symbolize who Jonathan is. They are what signify that Jonathan is the crown prince. He is next in line to the throne of Israel. He's the one to inherit and establish the kingdom. And he just gives them to David. He gives them to him. And so you see what Jonathan is doing, don't you? 
Jonathan is, is recognizing somehow that David is God's chosen king. It's not going to be him who sits on the throne, who inherits the kingdom. He's showing complete obedience, complete surrender to David's authority as king. Now, we've said it already, that is such a contrast to Saul, isn't it? Such a contrast. Who feared David, who's jealous and envious, wants to keep a hold of what he had. Verse 29 would remain an enemy for the rest of his life. Jonathan's the opposite. Complete opposite, isn't he? As he faithfully gives up his kingdom to David. Now, we aren't literally crowned princes or princesses, I don't think, in here. But culture is one that encourages to put, to put crowns on our heads, doesn't it? This is quite tight, this one, because it belongs to my children. It encourages to be kings and queens, to build our little kingdoms. So those ideas like be true to yourself, you do you, live your truth, yes, there's good things in them, but ultimately, behind it all, they're reinforcing this idea that I know what's best for me. I rule. Or in primary school, Louise is going to kill me for this, maybe you heard a song like this. I can do anything at all. I can climb the highest mountain. I have heard the ocean calling wild and free. I can do anything at all with this hope deep down inside me if I just believe in me. <laughs> Whatever it takes, I'll make it. No, no, no. no, no. Silly. Silly. And I'm going to be in so much trouble. But even though, but think about it, even when our, our children are little, the message we are giving them is go out there and make your way. Achieve your goals. Make your mark. Build your kingdom. That's what we're sending them out with. We're even encouraged today to see Jesus as a threat to all that. And it's so easy to buy into, whether we're conscious of it or not. I mean, how often do you find yourself getting frustrated, angry, when it feels like you don't get your own way? When you don't get what you think you need, when we, when we don't get what we want, or how often do our plans revolve around what I want to achieve? I want, I need those grades, that job, those friends, that many followers to be happy, to be a success, to make it. Well, faithfully loving Jesus means we say Jesus is king, not us. It means we say that as he speaks to us through his word, he will direct our thinking and our actions in every part of our lives, even when that seems to go against what the world says or what we might feel or want. It means we seek to live for God's glory and the growth of his kingdom, even when that might be costly for our own popularity and plans. And just sit up for a moment, because it is costly. Jonathan doesn't take the throne. We will not 
get everything we want in this world. But it is awesome. You see, when you carry on reading of David and Jonathan's relationship in chapter 20, what you see is how that covenantal relationship, how that, that friendship between them brings such incredible things like security and peace. If you flicked over, verses 14 and 15 are just delightful as they promise kindness to one another, whatever happens. At the end, uh, Jonathan would send, uh, say goodbye to David and say that it will be peace be with them because their friendship is something that is going to be there no matter what. Jesus invites us into a relationship with him and befriending this king Letting him rule, it brings peace and security. It gives us peace in a world that is so often crushing, chaotic, confusing, knowing we have a saving king, a saving king who has defeated our enemies to give us life to the full, now and forever. Nothing can change that. It gives us security knowing we have a friend whose love is loyal, whose kindness is utterly dependable, who is fully and utterly committed to us even when we aren't as committed to him. The king of the universe, Jesus, who we can run to for help whenever, wherever we are. I came across this quote uh, from Rebecca McLaughlin uh, that I think is just quality and and helps sums up what I'm trying to say. Uh, Coming to Jesus is like entering the most beautiful underground cave. To get in, we must first get down on our hands and knees. Then he will lift us up and show us all the wonders that are found in him. Faithfully loving Jesus is wonderfully, wonderfully saying, he is king of our lives. That's what Jonathan shows us. And here's the second thing that follows. Uh, Faithfully loving Jesus looks outrageous. Now, there are many times in my life I have looked outrageous. Uh, Here's a couple from my youth uh, with hairstyles, the curtains of David Beckham, uh, the blonde highlights of the boy band. Uh, I thought I could rock them. Turns out I cannot. Uh, Or or when uh, Louise and I went to a date to Nando's, and she asked me to order her a salad. A salad at Nando's. So embarrassing. Come back to the beginning of chapter 18. Come back to the beginning of chapter 18. And here is Jonathan. Here is Jonathan, the crown prince, next in line to the throne, giving it away. Willingly. Happily. Eagerly. That is outrageous. That is outrageous. No one in the Near East then would do that, would think of doing that. Not at all. You didn't give your crown to the upcomer. You eliminated them. That's what Saul was trying to do. It's a bit like if you're going to go sell your house and you went into the estate agents and you just said, look, let's just drop the price by half. Not actually too bothered about getting everything we can for it. The estate agent would be like, what are you doing? It looks outrageous. It is outrageous. Later on, again in chapter 20, Saul, Jonathan's dad, would tell Jonathan how stupid he's been. In verse 30, he says this. 
You son of a perverse and rebellious woman, don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you? As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. What are you doing? You're not going to be king. Jonathan gave up his right to the throne and it looked outrageous to the world around him. But he trusted God's plan. He trusted God's word and he put his kingdom first. Trusting in Jesus today, living with him as king of our lives, submitting to his word, well, it will look outrageous as we prioritize his kingdom. For some, that might be in a really big way. It might be leaving careers to follow a path in ministry or or moving to a completely different country to spread the gospel. But for most of us, For most of us, it will be outrageous in smaller ways and yet still outrageous. Youth leaders who will give up every Friday of a term, every Friday evening, to come and teach and love young people here. Saying no to invitations from friends or to something from work or to sports teams to make sure we're able to commit to Sunday worship together maybe even inviting those people on a Sunday instead. Holding firm to what the Bible says about this world, about us, and about life. To our world and culture today, following Jesus looks outrageous. And it should. And it should because Jesus calls us to be different. We aren't to be cultural chameleons blending into the world around us. This fallen world, our sinful hearts, it tells us that we're kings and queens of our own little kingdoms. Faithfully loving Jesus, saying, no. No, he's king. And that will look outrageous. Uh, And here's a side note. Here's another way I think it will look outrageous as well. Uh, You you have those times where you watch a film or you'll read a book and you come across a character and you're just like, wow, what a legend. What an absolute legend. And you're just drawn to them. You know what? Take 30 seconds. Turn to the person next to you. Recently, film, TV series, book. Who's a character that you've just been drawn to? Okay, go. Go. Let me bring us back. Let me bring us back. I, uh, I've been reading Lord of the Rings, or trying to, uh, for a long time. And there's many people uh, in Lord of the Rings, uh, many characters that I'm drawn to. One of them is Faramir. Faramir. Uh, maybe not the biggest character in the book, but man, that, that man is such a hero. Faramir is a man of outrageous integrity, outrageous loyalty. Outrageous courage. His men love him. Uh, And I don't think you can read Lord of the Rings and just not admire that man. Want to be like him. And I think the same is true for Jonathan. 
I think the same is true for Jonathan. There is something really attractive about his character, especially when you compare him to his dad. Something incredibly attractive. Jonathan isn't perfect, but here is a guy who displays outrageous self-sacrificial love for his mate, who displays outrageous courage in protecting him, and yet also displays outrageous integrity as he seeks to honor his father at the same time. And the cool thing with Jonathan is that all stems, it all stems from his love of the Lord and his desire to live for him. That's what lies behind those things. That, that is ultimately what I think draws you to this man, Jonathan, because when believers love the Lord and live for him, when they display outrageous love and integrity and encourage for him to the world around them, it is attractive. It draws people in. And it does it because it points to the one that lived that way perfectly, who was always outrageously loving and kind and patient and trustworthy and humble and gracious and courageous and faithful. It points to Jesus. Faithfully loving Jesus is saying he is king and it looks outrageous. Uh, can I invite the band back up? Uh, we're going to sing in a second. But just as they make their way, the question that I've been left thinking about as, I, as I've spent time looking at Jonathan, and I want to leave with you this morning, uh, is this. Am I living outrageously for King Jesus? Am I living outrageously for King Jesus? Does my life look outrageous to the world about me as I live with Jesus as my friend and king? Does the way I think and act and speak to my friends and my colleagues, my family, look outrageous as I live with Jesus as my friend and king? And as I start a new term, head to a new school, head off to uni or back to uni, head back to work or to another job, how, how can I live outrageously for Jesus, my friend, my king? Because we can. And we can because Jesus walks with us in this life. His spirit is in us, changing us, empowering us to live outrageously for him as king. Let me pray, and then we're going to sing in response to that. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this character of Jonathan and, and what we see in his friendship with David. Thank you that Jonathan shows us what it looks like to faithfully love your king. Lord, would you help us walk with you as our king and live outrageously for you. Amen. And we're going to sing.